many of us in this world find ourselves searching for ways to feel more alive. We move through our lives day after day, living through the same repetitive cycles and the same stressful patterns that often leave us feeling defeated, underappreciated, or unfulfilled. But what if there were a different way to perceive life? What if out there we were able to find the keys to a happy, healthy, and fulfilling reality in the lives that we're living right here, right now? For those of us who are looking for a way to transform our lives, for those of us who are looking to fully live in this moment, to change how we feel, how we perceive the world, and awaken to a better reality so we can fully live this life. This is the Live This Life Podcast. And I'm your host, Heath Cummings. I'm here to inspire you to ask yourself the question, are you living or are you killing time? What's going on, people? Welcome to another episode of the Live This Life podcast. Before we jump into today's interview episode, I wanted to mention that there is a new publication out there called Podcast Magazine. They are a pioneering publication all about podcasts. They feature interviews with creators and tricks of the trade, and they're even doing a monthly Hot 50 list. So if you have enjoyed the show and would like to help put us on the map, please head over to podcastmagazine.com and head to the Hot 50 list link. Um, I'll actually put that in the show notes. But you can submit three shows to the list every time you do an entry. So maybe this one and two others or you know, maybe whatever your top three shows are, even if this one is not one of your top three, uh, whatever you do, head over there and put in your vote for the Hot 50 list every month. And if we happen to be one of your top three choices, I would be very honored and grateful for the mention. So on this episode, we will be discussing what I feel is one of the biggest keys to making it through a hectic and stressful existence. As many of you know, one of the things that I love to focus on in all of the work that I do is focus on our resilience and our ability to endure the challenges that life continually throws our way. And for many of you listeners who know my history, I had been through a good number of challenges. So, you know, I kind of looked for things that would help me out along the way and The point in my life when I started to get the best of my life's challenges instead of them getting the best of me is when I discovered the secrets of meditation. And I've talked quite a bit about these benefits of meditation and often recommend it for most of my coaching clients. And today's guest is going to help us dive into a whole lot of information that might inspire you to not only start your own meditation practice, but also help you start one that's right for you, which is so important, um, right for you and your goals and your lifestyle. Rory Kinsella is an expert on the art of meditation. Rory's based out of Sydney, Australia, and has a story that he'll share a bit of about how he left the corporate rat race where he worked in mainstream media and shifted his life into an inspired and inspiring direction and has taken on being a professional musician, photographer, and writer, and is now a meditation instructor and specializes in Vedic meditation with one of his biggest passions being an advocate for cutting out alcohol through some of the practices that he teaches. Rory, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you, Heath. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Absolutely. Uh, I think we're having a great conversation today uh, about all the different things you know about meditation. And like I said, it's something that I talk about often on the podcast. And you're the first person we've actually had on here to discuss this with everybody. So I'm excited to bring this knowledge base to the listeners But before we dive into all the knowledge that you have, I'd like to ask a very predictable question of everybody. What does it mean to live your best life according to Rory Kinsella? Oh, good question. Um, Living my best life to me means 
following following my heart, following my dreams, and being able to spend the spend my time doing the things that I enjoy doing. So over the last few years, it's for me, it's been about, you know, as you mentioned, moving from corporate life towards teaching meditation. It's being able to to match your your schedule and your calendar with your dreams and your passions. So that's that's what living a, a, a full true life means for me is, is being able to not just do the things you love on the weekend or in the evenings, but being able to do them 24 seven. I think that's a dream that all of us probably would love to have. And if we haven't realized that, I hope that shows like this inspire people to do that because that's kind of where I'm at right now in the beginnings is just doing these things kind of on the weekend and on the side. But um, I think that's one of the biggest reasons why I invited you as uh, as a meditation person to speak on this kind of stuff. Um, why I invited you on the show because your story is, you know, exactly what I'm hoping to inspire people to do and fully fulfill my life in that aspect. You know, reading about how you kind of just upped and left that lifestyle, which, you know, I definitely welcome you to, to tell us about how that went. But um, I think that was one of the most inspiring things, if you want to share a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I guess, I know, you know, I'm kind of still on that journey. Like I've been taking steps out of the corporate world, but I still have, you know, one foot in, one foot out. And I think this is something that it's good to remind people in, in that it doesn't have to always be, like I've had quite a bit of advice on this. It doesn't have to be take the leap because you can take the leap and you can fall off the deep end and then, and then drown. So it's, there's, a, there's a big school of thought which says, make those small steps and drop one day a week of work if you can drop two days a week so that you get to this point where you're you're doing both and you can more organically grow the things that you love rather than heaping so much pressure on them because i remember i got taught this by by my meditation teacher and he said one of his biggest mistakes was when he first learned he he set himself up as a professional teacher on day one and booked a studio like hired a studio that had you know hundreds of dollars a week rent and then he needed people to come Mm -hmm. and and teach and he said you know there's nothing that puts people off more than a desperate meditation teacher (laughs) (laughs) and I really took that to heart and I've been a lot more balanced in in my moving across and I still do um, work in the media as well as doing this and it's kind of getting that balanced and what's really helped me and how meditation's really helped it is by not kind of being okay with that and being okay with it being a a slower journey. Because if we're talking about my journalism career lasted, you know, it's say 15, 16, 17 years. And then if my meditation career will last another 20, 30, you know, when we're old, we may be working to a hundred. We don't know. We may be cyborgs. <laughs> um, um, so, you know, why we don't need to switch our lives around in, in, in a week or a month. If it takes a couple of years, that's fine. You know, these are, these are big changes. And I think it really helps people have more realistic expectations if they see that it can be more of this slow, slow re- realignment. Because if you... You know, there's two schools of thought. One is you have to leap and then everything falls into place. And the other is you don't have to leap. You just need to start moving in the right direction and then you'll be learning all along. So for me, I've been teaching meditation for 
for four years now, but I can just tell month after month, year after year that I'm getting better at this. And if I look back to the me who was teaching meditation four years ago when I started, I wasn't ready to have, you know, 20 students a month, 50 students a month. I couldn't have done that because I wasn't ready. And anyone who thinks that they can just wake up one day and be, you know, super skilled and proficient at something they've never done before is, is not really thinking realistically. So I think it's about, you know, doing the hard, doing the hard yards. It's, it's like I, one of my other hobbies is I run, run half marathons and marathons and there's, you know, you, no one can fluke a marathon. You can't just turn <laughs> up on the day and run a marathon. I mean, you could walk it, but no one can run a marathon with no training. And it's that, that idea of, you know, one step at a time, you don't have to envisage how everything is going to turn out. You just need to start making, making those small steps and then make bigger steps. And it doesn't have to be this huge thing where you go, right, I'm going to jack everything in. Um, because we're moving to, we're moving into a world that's a lot more versatile. Like the, the current situation is a perfect example where the whole world has learned how to work from home. And it means that there's a lot more time in it. Like most people have got an extra hour, two hours in the day that they would have been commuting, you know, people who worked True. Um, to spend doing these, these other side hustles. And I think it's, for me personally, it's about getting to a point where maybe you even balance a couple of things because you, you don't want all your eggs in one basket. One of the other things about, coronavirus is that if your if your livelihood re- relied on people coming to see you in person that you you had nothing left so it's great if you can have a couple of different avenues so i have in-person meditation teaching but i also have an online course that i run and that that kind of helps um yeah divide things up so that it's not all no, not all eggs in one basket but yeah great advice Great advice. And, you know, it's so true about the, the leaping, uh, you know, that can, that can lead to good things. You can soar, but you can also fall very, very hard if you, if you leap when you're not ready. And, you know, my, my development with this podcast has been kind of the same way. I did it on a whim and thought it was just going to be something that I said I did one day and then I was terrified of doing it, but it's been a slow progression. You know, I'm sure if one day I just said, you know, I want to, I want to jump into this podcast and I want thousands of followers, you know, the pressure of that would just be, you know, too much. It would be way too much to handle. So all that stuff, all that was great advice for people. And, and um, just when you when you when you hear of these overnight successes, they're never overnight success. Like, right? You, it may have appeared that way, but they would have been working for a hell of a long time, doing what they needed, so that when the opportunity presented itself, they were ready. You know, luck is like I can't remember the phrase. But it's like opportunity plus plus preparation. You you need both. You can't just wait wait for the opportunity if you haven't done the work and if that means starting small and you know doing a podcast to a few people or teaching just a couple of people then that's that's how you do it that's how you get better absolutely so for a lot of our listeners they might be beginners in meditation or you know maybe it's people who are seasoned in doing it um but you know some people when i talk to talk to them about meditation and you know the people that i coach with life coaching once in a while will ask, you know, what is the, what is something I can do immediately to sort of transform my life? And usually I ask them, do you meditate? And the answer is almost all the time. No. 
So I explained, you know, the number one thing that you can do today, session one, start some sort of small practice and you can see the apprehension in people. Sometimes people who just don't meditate, taking that leap to, to get into a regular practice, they'll often say, you know, that's not for me or I'm too busy or quote unquote, I'm too busy. And you know, there's that, that, um, that phrase that you should meditate an hour of day unless you're too busy, then you should meditate two hours a day. And yeah. it's so true. I mean, it's, it's, it's the number one thing I can, can suggest, you know, what sort of, you know, what sort of benefits um, does meditation have for people? You know, what can you share and what would, ins- what can you say that would inspire people to take up a practice, you know, and, and really what are the main benefits of it? Okay. Well, yeah, great question. Um, and yeah, I completely get everything you say about people come in and they're like, I'm too busy for this. And you're like, look, you're too busy not to do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's exactly that. It's like, you're too busy not to have your highest state of consciousness, um, ready for you to tackle all these demands. So when I talk about the benefits, it's, it's generally about, um, less stress, greater access to, to creative ideas, um, more ability to focus, better able to sleep. Um, and if I, if I'll talk about it in kind of a, a day in the life. So for me, I practice Vedic meditation. I'm, I'll meditate twice a day. And whenever I say twice a day, people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're lucky I even came to this intro session <laughs> talking about five minutes a week, not twice a day. But I'm like, okay, hold up. <laughs> we'll get there. So I meditate in the morning and then I meditate in the afternoon and the benefits are slightly different and the experiences are slightly different from each. So when I meditate in the morning, I meditate around 6 a.m. or 7 whenever I get up and it's important for me to do it um, early in the morning. So it doesn't have to be early clock time. It just has to be early in my day. And that means that I haven't switched my phone on yet. I've not looked to email. I've not had, the, the world's not had a chance to, start placing demands on me and that's important because meditation is one of those things which is it's important but it's not urgent and if you have that as soon as you turn your phone on there's something that's going to be urgent and it's very hard to prioritize important things over urgent things even if the urgent things aren't important we just have this thing where we're like someone expects me to do something i need to do it so i won't turn my phone on i'll have a shower and then i'll sit and meditate um, and <clears throat> the way I practice, I sit comfortably in a chair. So this is, you know, people often have the idea of being full yogi, you know, cross-legged on the floor. Um, but in, in the Vedic practice, we sit comfortably. So your head and neck's free, but your back is supported. So that was a huge revelation for me from the other types of meditation I tried just simply for comfort. I couldn't sit for 20 minutes. Sat upright without getting backache. Right. <laughs> so you know that's a very basic thing. But um, so I meditate and I meditate for twenty minutes. And when I meditate in my practice, I use what's what's called a mantra, which is a word or sound that has no particular meaning, which I'll repeat silently in my head. And what that does is it gives an anchor for my awareness, so that. Normally, you know, we're all used to this. The mind is racing. And in the morning, especially, it's lots of, it's either stuff we've not resolved from the day before, or it will be to-do list things from the upcoming, you know, whatever you have to do that morning. So, for example, if I have, if I'm doing a meditation talk, 
in front of you know a corporate audience i'll be thinking you know naturally that will be on my mind and i'll be thinking oh you know what's the room going to be like i hope the tech is okay are they going to find my jokes funny you know um, you know am i going to have to be able to find parking there so those kind of things will be in my head and the way i see the mind the kind of analogy that i use is that the mind's like your your chrome browser so you're, you're on the internet and you've got chrome open and you've got different tabs open for the different things that you're looking into and it's the same in your mental chrome so I, like those examples i gave there i've got a tab open about the things that i'm going to say in my speech and i've got a tab open about whether i'm going to be nervous and i've got a tab open about you know um who i need to schmooze after to get another job out of it mm-hmm. and those those things will come up during my meditation and that's okay because i know that meditating is not about clearing my mind and having nothing there it's about allowing these things that i have stress or anxiety about to pop up and then i can close those tabs down and as i close them down i just return back to my mantra so i use a mantra but you know a lot of people use breath or body sensation they all kind of follow this same pattern of have being on a thought coming back to the the anchor being on a thought coming back to the anchor and my morning meditation is often really thought filled because i've got a lot on my mind and i want to be really productive and get stuff done um which means i've got too many tabs open in my chrome browser and as you you know anyone knows from using a computer if you've got 50 tabs open your computer is going to be working really slowly and maybe you've got um a video playing on tab 27 and you can't find it and it's <laughs> very confusing and very distracting so by sitting there for my thought-filled morning meditation, I'm closing down these tabs so that when I finish and I go out, go about my morning, I've then got less, less stuff on my mind. So then I'll go into my presentation and I'm no longer worrying about, you know, how many there, people there, there are going to be because I've not, I've not been thinking about that. I've closed that tab down, which means that I'm not then comparing reality to what I thought it was going to be. So I have a nice productive morning. So I've got more focus, less worries on my mind for the morning. And then I'll, I'll power through until mid-afternoon where in the old days I used to have my you know, third coffee of the day because there's this, this lull we have around three, two, three, four o'clock where there's a circadian rhythm change. And, um, you know, so you might have a coffee or if you're in Spain, maybe you'll have a siesta. There's that natural dip. So I'll meditate again then, either at three o'clock or a bit later, maybe at five if I'm working that day. And then my afternoon meditation is a lot more restful because I've done a lot of activity. My mind has, has earned a rest, at which point I'll, I'll do the same technique with my mantra. But in, in this sitting, rather than having all these tabs to go through, I'm, just, I'm more ready for a kind of computer shutdown, I'm more ready to have that, that reset. In which case, I follow my mantra and it leads me to quieter and quieter places in my mind and it leads me to a place where um, I'm so charmed and enjoying this deep restful state that my mind that's constantly looking for something else to entertain itself falls silent because it's found in this stillness something that's more charming and more appealing than the next thing it could think of, so it falls silent. And this is what we call, in our practice, we call this transcending or moving beyond. So you move beyond thought into this place of complete inner stillness and silence, mm-hmm. which 
a very nice place to be, but you don't actually know you're there because as soon as you have a thought, oh, <laughs> I'm in the being state, you're not there because, you know, there's, right. you can't be thinking thoughts there. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it takes a, a while to explain that <laughs> when I teach meditation, but the, exp- the kind of benefit of going into that state is like I described, it's like shutting your computer down completely. And, you know, uh, you know, there's, a, there's an analogy of, you know, if you ever phone tech support, IT support, the first thing they say is, you know, if you turned it off and turned it on again. Right. And the amazing thing is that we work like many other machines where if you turn us off and turn us back on again, we will work a lot more efficiently and effectively. And if I'm getting so much more benefit from my mental Chrome browser when I've shut the tabs down, I then get even more benefit if I completely close my mind's computer down and then I start back up after. So I have my afternoon meditation. Then say it's early evening and in the past I would have just kind of petered out from my day. I would have been like, okay, I've I've run out of adaptation energy. I've run out of energy and I kind of, fall into the evening where I, I, you know, I watch TV or scroll through social media. But after meditating, it means that I then have this second wind of energy. So rather than, you know, having to just laze around, I've got this extra energy. And then it becomes a question of what do you want to spend your energy on, which means that you can start a second career or start a second business or spend more time with your kids or spend higher quality time with your kids or, you know, X, you know, you fill in the gap. And this is how I kind of describe one of the main benefits to people is that people often say that they don't have time to follow their dreams or to, to, to live the life they want. But the way I see it is that it's not that they don't have time, it's that they don't have energy. And the way I back this up is I say, you know, if you use an Apple phone, you look at the screen time um, feature in that and it'll tell you just how many (laughs) hours you wasted in a single week on Instagram, on Facebook, on, you know, YouTube, pick your poison. There will be definitely enough time in the screen time that you could have spent meditating. So (laughs) I describe it as, so my quite intense meditation practice of, twice a day, 20 minutes is 3% of your day, 3% of my day. And if you think I'm investing 3% so that the other 97% is with this browser that's working completely tip top, lots of energy, lots of access to creative ideas, um, that is such a good investment. Um, And yeah, it's really wonderful what... And, you know, and that's quite a big thing. So you could think people who are starting out, just start with five minutes, start with, with 10 minutes, and you will start to see that benefit. But I guess the, the other thing there is, yeah, not to put pressure on it. It's not like, it's not like you're popping a pill and taking, you know, taking some drugs or something. You're not, it's not going to be this revelatory experience 10 minutes later. It's like it's, it's subtle, Subtle changes, but it's subtle changes that add up to these huge, huge shifts that you have to be prepared and, I guess, give it the benefit of the doubt that it's going to be working, but it's going to be working in quite small changes. I mean, sometimes it's small. Sometimes it's really big. Like one of the biggest, you know, still talking about benefits, one of the key benefits that 
some people see straight away is with sleep. So some people have got terrible, you know, problems with sleep and sleep deprivation is so bad because it just clouds the rest of your life. Like if you haven't slept enough, you're just going to be struggling all day. And what people find in the first couple of days of, of, of learning, you know, properly learning a meditation practice in, in person from a teacher is that, their sleep will, will um, turn around almost overnight and they'll be like, this is amazing. I've not slept well for years and I've started sleeping well. It's like it flicks a switch because one of the things it does is it trains you how to let go. So we're very used to holding on tight and trying to make stuff happen through um, control and using force and meditation is about the more gentle approach and letting go and allowing stuff to happen. So it kind of really plays well into being able to fall asleep. Um, so yeah, one of the, that's, if sleep's an issue for you, I would hundred percent recommend trying meditation because compared to going down the route of, you know, drugs or anything like that, prescription drugs, it's going to be so much more natural. It's going to have so many fewer unintended consequences. Yeah, and I think that's probably one of the main reasons why I actually started meditating. Uh, you know, I had gone through a lot of PTSD, so that naturally resulted in a lot of sleepless nights. And I wanted to get into a practice that was go like do anything that didn't involve taking some sort of prescription drugs. You know, and I often found myself certain times using alcohol to sort of numb the pain of the the stress and anxieties, which would sometimes fire up some of the things that happened in the past. And as soon as I started meditation, it's like what I call it is like that muscle inside of your brain that after you start to practice a little bit, you're able to get that, that, you know, that thing that you said, like you're able to close the browsers and get yourself back to that silent state and that muscle you use to maintain that silent state to not drift out of it is almost the same kind of thing that I feel like I developed along my way of when I had trouble sleeping, if I woke up in the middle of the night a lot of people have those thoughts of whatever they have to do the next day or some of the bad things that happened in their past, like whatever it is that keeps them up. That same muscle you use to develop to maintain the calm when you start to get into more of a meditative practice, you know, consistent, that translates into sleep time as well. And I mean, I think if anything, if there's anything I can say that that was the number one benefit, it was just being able to get more solid sleep and then it translated to other things. But to touch on some of the other things that you mentioned, um, you know, the, the, the instant gratification that people expect now, you know, like you use the analogy of having the iPhone, there's like so many things that go along with like our actual technology that merges with us, but having things at your fingertips, wanting them instantaneously, you want something, you want to order it, you can order it online, you can have it the next day. And people think that the meditation practices are the same exact way. And it's like, it, that's not how this will work but you'll be surprised. I felt like some of my biggest gains came at the beginning. Um, and the first time I hit that state that you're talking about, that state where there is zero thought. And then all of a sudden you snap yourself out of it. Cause you're like, Whoa, I'm not thinking of anything for the first time. Oh no, now I'm out of it. And you do whatever you can to get back in that state. I've only had that maybe a handful of times over the last two or three years, but I have to say reaching that state of no thought, 
I can't describe it, but once you feel it, there's like a hunger to get back there. Like whatever I was doing that day, I need to make sure that I can do it again and try to recreate it. But there's nothing like that state. And I think once you hit it the very first time, that's what continues to keep you coming back because it's just literally like nothing's going on in that brain, but you're awake. And like, I literally cannot put words to describe what it is. So if there's anything that motivates anybody to try it, you want to reach that state because it's, it is better than any alcohol, any drug on the planet. I really feel like it is. And I think once you experience that state, it puts all those other mind numbing things that you may have been doing in your life in total perspective. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Like I, I love how you described it there. And it's, yeah, I, I it's kind of like you're plugging into some, you know, universal mainframe where rather than just being your, your, your little individual self, you you, you you de-excite yourself until you merge with this kind of universal power which yeah like you say there's 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 nothing to beat it and you know one thing that you know as people progress on their meditation journey they'll they'll start chasing those experiences kind of like you were you were suggesting where you go i've had a taste of that and now i want it and that's something that you know, so when I teach people to meditate, I do it over four sessions, over four consecutive days, and they, they really have this, this journey of, one, wanting to get to that, have some kind of an experience like that, but then once they've had that, they, they then kind of hold themselves back because the more you try to get that experience, <laughs> the further it moves away. It's like, you know, it's a carrot on the end of the thing where... Yes because because you know the way we describe it and you know there are different types of meditation that use slightly different methods but the way we do it in in vedic meditation is we it's all about de-exciting ourselves so we're going from activities so we're having a, a chat here where you know i could be moving around i could be exercising i could be working it's all activity and and this technique is about minimizing activity so we we sit we sit quietly we don't have to sit as a statue but we just sit quietly and then every time we find ourselves thinking we just guide ourselves gently back to this neutral anchor so you know we use the mantra and each time we come back we're having more and more restfulness so if we were linked up to machines you'd see that my heart rate's gone down my blood pressure's gone down my oxygen intake's gone down and it's when we allow ourselves to get to that most rested point that our brain allows itself to switch off and then we fall into that stillness. But if you're holding a, an idea of, oh, you know, I want to chase that dragon, chase that transcending experience, as we would call it in, in this tradition, then <clears throat> that's just going to hold you, hold you back because that's, that's, you know, that's a strong desire. So that's keeping your mind awake we're trying to merge our mind with this deep stillness within so any thought we we just want to let go of it and allow ourselves to to experience the the neutrality so especially you know it's any thought at all which could be you know what am i going to have for dinner or you know who's going to win the next election or or it can be you know at the beginning especially there are lots of meta thoughts about meditation so my first few months of meditating there was a lot of performance anxiety about meditation and trying to succeed because I've got, you know, if I do personality tests at work, I come out as the achiever, um, which, which means that I'm always, 
It means that my self-esteem is dependent on external results. Um, so I'd be trying really hard with meditation and go, I want to impress my teacher by managing to, to nail this and being you know, the best student ever. <laughs> but, you know, and he would kind of just smile, <laughs> smile at me and just, you know, like, you know that's, that's not how you get there. You need to, because success in meditation is about giving up the, the need for success, which is this kind of, you know, different way of thinking about it. So as we, you know, we grow up in America, in America and in the UK where I grew up and in Australia, it's all about, you know, and in most countries it's about you work harder and you get more results. So we study hard at school, we get good grades, we go to university, we study hard, we get good grades, we get a good job, we get paid, etc., etc. It's work hard um, and get more rewards, but in the game of relaxation it's about working using less effort especially in this type of meditation it's about how much can you give up that need for success and the, the more successful you are at giving up that need the the easier you'll drop into this place of stillness because we don't we get there through minimizing activity so in in sanskrit the, the way they describe the tech, technique that i teach is nishkam karma yoga and it means that the the easy translation is um so yoga is union so union with this you know divine if you want union with this um pure conscious state and karma means action and nishkam means it means action hardly taken so it's like we're minimizing activity so that that includes things about desires about any particular outcomes you want so when people learn it's really important to say you need to drop expectations drop expectations about what what may happen in this sitting because the more expectations you have the more on the surface you will be you'll be kept just because you're you're holding that as an idea in your head mm, so true and, and, you know and and some so one thing that you just said i keyed in on was how if you almost try with the meditation and you know, you don't let yourself get to that stillness. It's almost kind of like when people think that they can just get by on, you know, three, four hours of sleep and their waking hours, you know, Elon Musk is famous for that. You know, he, he says that he, you know, work 20 hours a day and he'll sleep at work sometimes. And I feel like what you just said with the meditation, it's like, if you, you don't allow yourself, you're constantly using your mind. You don't get yourself into a quality place, the place that you're, you're, really needing to get to, but you're so worried about trying to get there. You don't have the, the quality of what its benefit is really supposed to be for you. So um, that's a great piece of advice. Excellent. Yeah. And, you know, just picking up on what you're saying about sleep, like another way to, to think about meditation, it's like, it's like extra sleep. So these, these kind of famous tests that they did at Harvard in the seventies showed that when you're meditating, you're two to five times um, more deeply rested than when you're asleep. So it means that you're getting much more quality rest. So if, if you're not sleeping enough, it will make up for that lack of sleep. And if you are sleeping enough, it just gives you all this extra, extra energy. And if I think about me personally, if I've had three or four hours sleep, I've I'm not, you know, I'm not the best version of me. I'm much more likely to have um, quick fix solutions like I'll have, you know, a 
two coffees when I normally don't have any coffee or I will spend more time on social media even though I might be really busy or I'll eat worse or I'll not go and exercise like I, we call it adaptation energy so adaptation energy means that you're you've got kind of extracurricular energy to, to meet the demands being being thrown at you and if you're if you're on zero sleep you've got none of that you're like I'm going to do the bare minimum here I'm going to phone it in <laughs> I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get through to the end of the day when I can just veg out and not do anything and if you're doing that every day your life's not going to be going to places that you want it to whereas if you are you know you can you know some jobs you can get away with putting in a 30% job but you know you're not going to be promoted anytime soon and you probably haven't got enough energy to be looking for other things you might like to do or you know building a business on the side like we were talking about but with with meditation stocking up on this rest it means that you've got more and more of that and it means you've got more creative energy because if we want to if we're feeling like we're in a rut and we want to get out of it we we're not going to get there without creative energy without looking for 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 you know new opportunities and having that deep well of energy that we tap into really puts us in a good place to to get there and one other thing that i actually um thought about too is something else that you just said about it's just like the physical changes that you go through because i I use a lot of analogies with exercise with some of the the things that happen with spirituality and meditation and all that kind of stuff that with physical changes you know you, you you know you're a marathon runner if you just start out doing something, say you're not in shape at all and you're like, you know what, I'm going to go out and I'm going to run today and I'm going to run every single day just because I want to lose weight. The first time you go and run a mile or two, it's going to be tough and you know, you're going to be sore afterwards and all that kind of stuff. And you're not going to drop 10 or 20 pounds just from running one time. And like I said, all of us in that instant gratification world, will run a few times to be like, how come this isn't working? You know, it's the same thing with meditation that you need to give it a try for a little while and eventually you'll start to see those rewards of all the things that you've been talking about. So it's, it's definitely one thing that I think I can, I can give that piece of advice to people from somebody who was in that. So I was, you know, athlete meathead kind of person all those time, all this time. And I, I really feel like people can understand that, especially people who have gotten into some sort of physical practice that you give it a little bit of time. And then you eventually do start to see some of the rewards. And then once you do, that carries you forward on to, you know, doing it more often, changing it, finding different ways to do it. Um, which is a great segue into the next thing is, you know, what are really some of the different ways that people can meditate and definitely touch on what the difference is with Vedic meditation? Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, I'll talk through my experience of learning to meditate because I guess it reflects what I hear from a lot of my students is that, you, you read something or someone says something or you read Harvard Business Review or you see that, you know, some celebrity CEO meditates and you're like, right, I'm going to give this a go. And then you look around and there's, you know, dozens, hundreds, thousands of different options with meditation. It can be a bit bewildering. And um, <clears throat> I guess the way I tackled it was I tried, to, I tried out a lot of different types, which it sounds like you did as, as well and you know so there are just to list just just a few off the top of my head there are ones where you know you stare at a candle for an hour there are ones where you go to yoga and you imagine a ball of light in front of your 
forehead or there are ones where you do a loving kindness thing where you generate you know love in your heart for your your cat who died when you're a child and then you send it to yourself and you send it to your friends and then you send it to your enemies and there are types where you feel the tingling of sensation in your toes um and there are types where you know you count to a hundred all these different types but what i kind of found from doing research research is that there are a couple of main um traditions in the west that we've kind of taken up and there's practices from the generally from the buddhist tradition so mindfulness all falls into that uh, buddhist tradition and then there's other techniques from more of a hindu tradition which which mind falls into which includes transcendental meditation and vedic meditation and they're all from the same place they're all from ancient india and it's just different strands of it and you know as these techniques came to the west midway through the 20th century they got stripped of a lot of the the religious aspects of it so that you can enjoy these practices without holding any religious belief. It's a, it's a mental technique that happens to have come from a religious background, but it's just a, a mental technique. So from when I started, I, I got into mindfulness because that seemed the most um, common thing and the most popular and has the most recent scientific research into it. And Mindfulness meditation is the easiest to find. So you would look at the Headspace app or the Calm app or any of those huge, you know, multi-million dollar businesses. And for someone who just wants to dip a toe in, they could be a good place to start. I would personally recommend an app called Insight Timer, which is free and has 30,000 different teachers in it doing all sorts of different types of meditation. So if you're just trying to try it out, you would go to somewhere like Insight Timer and just see what's there. Try a breath meditation, try a body feeling, uh, body scan meditation, try some guided meditations. But there comes a point where um, apps will only get you so far. So my, my overwhelming advice to people is that if you want to, to seriously give it a go, you need to find a teacher and ideally a teacher who can teach you in person because what what an app an app can give you a flavor of it and it can give you the one side of the teaching but when you learn anything there's there's a two-way communication so when i teach meditation i I'll, I'll teach people the technique but then we sit around and we meditate and then i get them to talk about their experience and it's not about testing them or getting them to pour out their hearts or anything like that it's about tell me about your subjective experience of this technique so that I can say, okay, great. You just, the way you described it, it sounds like you're maybe using a bit too much effort. It's really easy to get those things out of people where if, I, if we didn't have that conversation with me saying, oh, it sounds like you're trying too hard, you're trying to succeed too hard, <laughs> which is keeping you from success, that is something that you can hold that misconception. You could meditate with an app for years, trying too hard and not getting the results you want. Whereas, you know, I could have told you that in, in, in a five-minute chat if we're learning in person. It's like if I want to learn to, you know, serve like, you know, do a backhand like Roger Federer, I can watch a YouTube video or I can go to my local tennis coach and I will make so much more progress in an hour than I would in weeks and weeks with a YouTube video. And, but then it becomes a, a, a case of cost and people are like, well, you know, it costs, you know, hundreds of dollars to go and learn 
from a, a meditation teacher often, or, you know, tennis coach is an expensive thing to do, but it's about saying you're, the main thing you're going to invest in meditation if you're going to do it properly is your time. So I said, I described I do 20 minutes twice a day. That's 40 minutes a day. That adds up to 10 whole days a year. Whatever your hourly rate is, that, you know, that's going to be quite an investment. So it's really misaligned thinking to be like, I'm going to go for this cheap option or this free option with, say, an app or, you know, a YouTube video because, because you're, not, you're going to be um, not investing your time wisely because if you're, if you're doing it you know, not the best way you can, you're not getting the full benefit out of it. So it's about if you get a teacher, they will give you this advice. They will be able to hear your, your experience one-on-one and that means that when you finish the course, so when I teach, it's, you know, and teachers like me, we do four sessions. And after those four sessions, you are then a self-sufficient meditator. You don't, you don't have to come and see me ever again. You don't have to turn on an app. You don't have to take your headphones with you. You don't have to go to a yoga studio. You're, you're then fully self-reliant, which means that when it comes to the task of making a daily practice out of this and for the real benefits as you would know, he, you need to do it regularly. Like doing it once a week will be nice and it will give you some benefits, but the cumulative benefits of doing it once or even twice a day are just you know, ex, exponential. Um, and one reason that people, people give up is, well, one, they have unrealistic expectations. As we said, like they're, they're used to this quick fix, dopamine hit. They're like, Where, where's, you know, <laughs> where's the good stuff? Right. I just want to press the press the happiness button and it for it to come. I um, mean that doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's got a delay, so you press it and it, no, maybe it takes a couple of days. You know, it's different for different people, but um, the other benefit of learning in person is you get someone who's like been through it and they're like, "Look, I know what you're expecting and what you're hoping, but give it the benefit of the doubt. It's it can sometimes be subtle changes, um, or even like a student will come back to me." three months later and they'll be like, you know, I'm not, you know, I am sleeping better and, you know, work's going okay, but I don't think it's working that way. I'm like, yeah, we'll list all the things in your life. And they're like, well, I'm feeling really happy. My relationship's going really well. Well, got promoted at work. (laughs) I'm sleeping better than ever. And you're like, okay, well, (laughs) (laughs) there, there you go. But it's, it's because they're, you know, it's not, it's not like they've popped a pill and suddenly they're high it's been such a subtle change that it's often through other people that they, they get it reflected back to them. And it's, it's not the people you see every day perhaps, but it's people that you haven't seen for a while. And they'll be like, wow, you look, you know, I I didn't mean to say that you look really tired before, you know, I'm going to look tired or you look happy or you're no longer boring people with all your, you know, hangups about, you know, your boring work stuff because you've worked through that. Yes. close the boring work tabs in your meditation which means that you're not boring your poor friends with it um so it's it's having going to a teacher in person will will set you up for knowing what's going to happen and not and not having this high expectation where you're expecting you're expecting the world in this 10 minute session with an app apps are great for just you know i've really got I really don't know anything about it and I want, a, I want a little taster, but if you want to make progress and want to make a regular thing out of it, I would try to quickly progress from apps to, to finding a teacher. And yeah, 
the other good thing about the different types of meditation or the main types of meditation that, that I say, because I got great benefit from, from doing mindfulness. I did it for about six months before I moved to Vedic and I got benefit from it. But what I found was that I didn't love it and I didn't look forward to doing it. So it was hard to make a regular habit out of it. Whereas when I learned Vedic meditation, it just clicked and it, you know, it has, it uses a different anchor. So one way of describing it is that, you know, each type of meditation plays on one of the senses. So body scan or breath both use the feeling sense. So you're feeling the air going into your lungs, going through your nose, or you're feeling the sensation of the tingling of sensation in your, in your legs or wherever. Whereas with Vedic meditation and the mantra, it's using sound. So it, we're, we're saying this sound in our head. And for me, as I've got a, a, a musical background, I used to be a music journalist and I've played, it, played in bands, music just appealed to me more. And I find that for many people, that's also the case. Like we're, you know, how many people don't listen to music to relax or how many people don't have that connection of, you know, their, their mom singing, you know, mom or dad singing, you know, lullabies to them when they're children. And one of the biggest um, Google searches for meditation is meditation music. And music can be meditative, but I, 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 the way I describe it is, you know, formal meditation is about moving away from external sense experience and moving internally. And it's like we were saying before, before the call about, um, you know, the Muse headband and those, those things that you can yes. get give, give you feedback. And that, that feedback of saying, hey, your, your, your mind's gone active again, that, that can be distracting. And it's the same with guided meditations. You could be drifting towards this place of stillness and then someone's like, oh, yes, and now you see the clouds <laughs> go by. And you're like, okay, fine. <laughs> you, just, you just pulled me out of that. Um, but, yeah, so, so I think... Yeah, graduating to a place where you have um, a, a habit that you can do on your own is how you really make really make progress in the meditation game. Absolutely, all such great great advice. Um, you know, what's one one thing I've found as a misconception of people as well who don't think that meditation is for them is people, people picture, you know, people are surprised to hear that, that I meditate, you know, and I often, I'm, I'm definitely one time a day, anywhere from 20 to 40 minutes in my morning session alone. And then sometimes I'll do it either in the afternoon or I'll do it. If I haven't been able to do it in the afternoon, I'll do it right before bed. And it will sort of like, just get me right out to sleep. Um, which that's not often the best time I've, I've been told by many people. It's not the, if you're going to meditate and you're only going to do it once a day, don't do it before bed because you'll just literally fall asleep. Um, but people think that they, they look at someone like me who was always really high strung and I was a boxer and I was a police officer and I did all these things that they're like, wow, you meditate. And it's like, yes, there's so that you cannot type cast the type of people who adopt a meditative practice. Um, and I'm sure you can attest that there are a broad range of people who practice meditation and you touched on some of the, you know, famous and celebrities and, and mega rich, but you know, what do you typically see? And you know, what can you tell people that is the, the typical, and I'm sure you're going to say it's pretty atypical to, there is no typecast of person that meditates. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I mean, there are, there are people who are more, open to it so there'll be 
you know, types of people who are, you know, maybe a bit more worldly or a bit more open to, to experiencing new things. So you'll see them, but, but you see all sorts of people like I, you know, in, in my practice in Sydney, I'll see, you know, managing directors of companies or busy mums or like I've been, it's been really great recently as I've seen loads more kind of uh, people who work in construction, younger guys as well. I had a group um, late last year where it's like four 20 something Brits living in Australia who, who all worked in kind of construction jobs. And I was like, this is so good in that it's gone so far that, you know, when I was their age, I was like boozing all the time, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're talking about football and they, that's the kind of proper laddie stuff that they do, but they're, it, the world's changed so much that, you know, they were like, no, come on lads, we've got to go and meditate. <laughs> I'm like, this is so cool. That's that it's amazing. Become, it's become so acceptable that, you know, these, these lads will, will are up for doing it. So it's, yeah, it's, it's all walks of life and it's not, what's so great about it is it doesn't, it's not a, it's not a lifestyle and it's not a belief system. It's something you do that helps your life, whatever your life is. So if it is that you're a busy parent and you're at home looking after the kids, it means that you'll be better at that. If it, if it is that you're a top grade sportsman and you have to kick a field goal or something under pressure in front of a hundred thousand people, it will make you better at that. And if you are, um, an artist, it will give you more access to creative ideas so that you can, you know, paint a better picture. Or, you know, if you're a busy exec, it will make it so that you're have more empathy with your teams or can think of more creative ways to make deals. It's like it doesn't it just makes you better at whatever you do. And the reason the way it does that is that it's it's the best world's best known antidote to stress. And stress, you know, we a lot of us don't think of ourselves as stressful people and I didn't particularly think of myself as a stressful person before but I it was one of those you know the duck analogy where it looks all calm on the surface but I'd be you know the legs are flying around underneath Mm -hmm. where I'd look cool on the surface but my internal dialogue was all you know quite angry and I'd be angry with people without saying anything so I'd be quietly seething about stuff and just you know complaining about stuff in my head and I would find that after learning to meditate, I was like, oh, wow, I didn't realize, but that's stress. Uh, and if we're operating under stress, it means that we're not operating at our full capacity because, you know, the body goes into this fight flight mode and all our key systems get turned off. You know, this, this gets described quite a lot, but, you know, our, our neocortex, which is our brain's executive function, gets shut down because we don't need that to survive. We need the 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 limbic system or the 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 part that keeps us alive, the survival part. But the survival part is is it's good for if you're you know fleeing from a saber toothed tiger, but it's not great if you're if you're trying to work out how to navigate a socially um, politically you know, difficult situation at work or, you know, those much more complex things where you need your full brain capacity. And what meditation does is it removes that stress so that your brain can start firing properly. And that means that it works no matter who you are. If you're willing to sit down and give it a go, it will work for you for all walks of life. And, you know, it's not like 
it's not like you're saying I'm part of this movement. You don't go to church. You don't, you, I mean, you can go to group meditations, but once you've learned, most people are just, I'll never see them again. They'll quietly go about their, their lives doing it in the, in the privacy of their own homes or offices or when they're parked in their car before picking the kids up. It's a, some, it's something quietly, quietly you do for yourself, which breaks up your day so that you're, you're not in that situation where, you know, what a lot of us do is we'll work for weeks and weeks, months and months, and then we'll have a holiday and we'll be like, ah, oh, right, you know, stop for a bit. Whereas this, I like to think of meditation as they're these mini holidays. So twice a day, I'll have this mini holiday where I don't have to do anything. And it means that that 10 days of time that I said earlier that I meditate for 10 full days a year, but because it's so spread out, it means that I get an extra two weeks holiday perfectly strategically placed through my day and through my week so that I'm never more than a few hours from this mini break, this little holiday, so that I'm always on this level and I'm never getting to a point where I'm, you know, near a breakdown or, you know, really needing or, or getting sick. Like another thing is I get sick a lot less or meditators get sick less than other people because that fight flight response that we were talking about, that shuts down your immune system because if you're fighting off you know, a grizzly bear, you don't need to also be fighting off the common cold or, you know, the other common viruses that are around in the world in 2020. Um, It just means that your, your body's not as, as it doesn't mean you won't get anything, but it means that your body's not, it's, it's full capacity where it's able to fight off things as best it can. So it's not like this will happen or this won't happen. It's that your body will be in the best condition it can be to, to tackle any any demands or any threats or any um, viruses because you're not stressed and stress is that big killer stress is well it is it is a killer and it is something that you know causes or exacerbates 80 you know estimated 80 percent of medical conditions but it also makes us stupid if you're under stress or you've not had any sleep like as we were talking about before you're not coming up with any smart ideas. No. <laughs> you're not. <laughs> you're not passing. You know. You know. You're not acing any tests. It's. It makes it stupid. It makes you stupid. And the more days in a row that you're living your life as the stupid version of you, you know, the, the harder it's making itself. Is making you know your future for you. Very much so. Your relationships, your output, everything. It's. It's. It's all connected. Um, you know, such great advice. All these things. Um, you know, and, and one thing I like to dive on with, especially with visitors who come onto the podcast, and we talk a lot about spirituality because I feel like a lot of these paths where you get into meditation, you start to learn a lot more about yourself. And then once you know more about yourself, you can start to learn more about the world around you. When you took on a meditative practice, did, did you have any sort of spiritual beliefs prior to when you really discovered meditation, did they change? You know, did they pretty hold pretty consistent for you, or did you find that things kind of shifted? Because I hear that a lot in people. Yeah, um, I mean, they they definitely shifted. Um, I guess one of the things about these spiritual beliefs or insights that you know we come across in meditation is they're nothing you don't know. Like when, whenever you come across one of these things, which is like, we're all one, or there's this layer of unity below everyone, you go, it's, you'll get a point where you, where you, we all know these things. These are like old school truths, or these are things that your grandmother would, would have told you. 
or, you know, don't be bad to people, <laughs> but it's about getting to a state where you fully realize it. It's not just an abstract con concept. You're, you're able to realize it and embody it. And it's, this is why it's very easy to dismiss kind of spiritual beliefs when someone, you know, it's just written down or someone says it because it's like, oh yeah, duh, of course. Um, but it's not about just, it's not like this it's maths equation that you have to understand it. It's can you live it? Can you embody it? And the further on the spiritual journey you go, the more you're able to embody it. So, you know, I've definitely seen a change with me personally in that I'm able to stay, to see the other person's point of view much later in any difficult situation than I would have before, where I would have flown off the handle and kind of got into a big argument. And then you take that to the other extreme where you go, okay, let's think about the most spiritually advanced people in the world. So as a famous example, you could say the Dalai Lama. You go, right, so the Dalai Lama will remain calm even though his people have been kicked out of their country and he could have people, um, these terrible things happen to, to the people that he represents, but he holds no hate for his, you know, what we would call enemies. He wouldn't even call them an, an enemy. And it's, it's those, kind, you know, like have love for everyone and those kind of, they, they, it's easy to laugh at those things because they're so basic and they sound so oversimplified. But what we get as we develop in our spiritual practice is that we realize these truths more. And it's like we're, we're remembering things. It's not like we're learning new stuff. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I always knew that. And Or you remember back to, for me, as a, so I'm 42 years old. I had to remember how old I was there. Um, I actually read a few of the spiritual books in, in this tradition, like the Bhagavad Gita. I read them at, at uni or at school because I, you know, I was a, had an inquiring mind. And as an idealistic teenager, I guess, I would have known some of those things more. But then, then you get into the corporate life and then it's more like, okay, that's fine, but I need to earn lots of money and maybe buy a house and do all these material worldly things and then when you come back to the spiritual thing it's like oh yeah you know that's that's a belief i held as a teenager or, you know as an idealistic teenager and it's not like you're discovering something completely new it's like this stuff's been there all along it's just how much how visible is it in your particular view so it's always you know a lot of meditation talks about it's a coming home we already know this stuff but it's about realizing it more and more and ha being able to hold, have that experience of it, not just an abstract concept, but hold that experience of it, even when there is huge amounts of trouble going in the world um, and deep divisions and polarizations and all this stuff. It's being able to hold that um, idea of, you know, unity while everything else crazy is going on. I think that's the, that's the spiritual journey. It's not stuff that you've never experienced before. It's getting to experience it more often, which is generally around being calm, being able to see other people's point of view, being empathetic, um, and knowing that you know we're all we're all basically the same. We're all waves on this same infinite ocean, and it just makes it more easy to 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 know that more of the time, regardless of what current events are going on. Such great advice. Such great advice. So Rory, as we get close to wrapping up, um, you know, let's, let's talk about where our listeners can reach you 
and, you know, book a course with you and especially, you know, to, uh, drop us a little bit of information about the course that you have on, you know, meditate to quit alcohol. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the alcohol cause it was such a, you know, that was the way that I guess similar to you is the way that I coped with the demands of life. And I, I, I never called myself an alcoholic. I was a, a regular social drinker, but my social drinking would be, you know, 10 pints of beer or 12 pints on the weekend or, you know, or more, which is you know, binge drinking, which would mean that I'd have these highs and lows through the week. And it made me really unproductive. And, you know, I wasn't, I have been a daily drinker, but that wasn't why I gave up. It wasn't because I considered it to be, you know, a health risk. I could manage it, but it just was holding me back. It was meaning that I couldn't achieve the things that I wanted to. And I realized that the, the cons had long outweighed the pros. And through meditation, I just found that um, I was less, I, I needed to drink less. Like I had fewer sorrows to drown is one of the ways I describe it. Because, you know, I didn't have that stress where it got to the end of the week and I'd be like, oh, I have to drink to, to, to get past this. So I had that experience naturally through my meditation journey so so much so that after four years of meditating i completely gave up drinking i was i got less and less than i just decided i'm going to completely give up because i found it easier rather than trying to moderate and say to people i know i drank with you last week but i'm not drinking with you this week even though it's your birthday <laughs> and have all these kind of um conversations where you're offending people by not drinking i was just like it's easier for me not to so i've then built up a, a meditation course around alcohol. So it's called We Meditate to Quit Alcohol. And it's a 31-day course of 15-minute guided meditations where I teach a kind of generic version of my mantra practice that I teach in person, laced in with um, advice for people who want to drink less or completely give up. And I did it as a 31-day course to kind of fit into that movement of, you know, we're coming up for dry July here in Australia they do dry January in the UK and there's one called October, those kind of a month of not drinking so that you can see what difference it makes. And for me, it was just made such a big difference. Like even those having a few drinks on the weekend would mean that I had less energy. So I just wanted to create a course where people can, from the comfort of their own homes, listen to these guided meditations that guide you into a silent practice um, to help you quit. So that's something I offer on the side. So that's we meditate to quit alcohol. Um, and then my main um, in-person teaching is here in Sydney, Australia, which is Vedic meditation, which is teaching over four days. So um, I would recommend people check out um, my online course. You can find me on Instagram, Rory Kinsella Meditation. And I'd also recommend if you like the sound of Vedic meditation to find a teacher in your area. It can only be taught in person. So if you would like recommendations, just get in touch with me on Instagram and I can point you in the right direction. Excellent. Outstanding. Well, Roy, this has been a, an awesome conversation. Um, I hope this has inspired some people to take up the practice because if I could point to one thing that definitely shifted things for me, you know, when people come up to me and they say the same thing to me, man, you look happier and stuff like, well, that might have some, some other things, you know, I might have some career changes and other things that, that might've stepped into that. But, um, you know, it's the number one thing that I can suggest and that I do suggest to everybody. And of course, 
I'm still by no means mastering, you know, my means of meditation. Like I told you before we hit the record button, I kind of do a varied different bunch of different things. Um, and I'm, I consider myself, you know, pretty well experienced into it now, um, having done it every single day for almost the last two or three years. And, you know, it just takes some time and to find the right practice that works for people, um, is great, but turning to experts like you, people who teach it, um, that's, that's what we're looking for. And I'm glad we were able to have this conversation, provide this for people on the podcast. So thank you very, very much for stopping by and giving all this knowledge to everybody. No, thank you, Heath. It's been a real, real pleasure. And like you say, you know, almost any type of meditation will work, but it's about finding the one that will work for you, which might not be the one that works for someone else. So, you know, be open and try a few things. Outstanding. Well, all of the contact information to reach Rory will be in the show notes. So check him out, check him out on Instagram. And if you want to get into a meditative practice, I think you couldn't find a better person to um, at least guide you in the right direction and maybe connect you with some people locally, or at least do something online and give you some information on how you can start your own meditative practice. And you'll be shocked at what it does to transform your life. It really will change things for you. So again, Rory, thank you. Thank you for stopping by. Great. Thanks, Heath. A huge thanks to Rory Kinsella for stopping by the show to talk to us about all these ins and outs of meditation. Very, very valuable information. And if you have an interesting or inspiring story to tell or you provide a service that you think would improve people's quality of life, hit me up. Maybe we can get you on an episode of the podcast. You can reach me at connect at livethislife.org. That's C-O-N-N-E-C-T at livethislife.org. Until next time, keep living, everybody, and thank you for listening. 